Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2 Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. First Corinthians 10 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles of the church of God. Wrap your arms around those as Jesus did so well. Jesus never, he didn't say, hey, listen, I want you to go ahead and leave your sinful life and then I'll love you. No, he loved us right where we're at. I was having a conversation with somebody right before the show, and we talked about the prodigal son, and and our Heavenly Father is depicted in the Father in that parable, and he wrapped his arms around his prodigal son, and he was stinking, he was filthy, and he'd just come from a life of absolute disaster, and God wrapped his arms around him and said, listen, I love you right where you're at. But yet as Christians, we, we struggle, and I don't use that word very often, as Christ followers, we struggle with loving people where they're at. We struggle with loving people in their sin. Not loving their sin, but loving people. And today we're going to have a conversation with a couple of people that we will call Matt and Nasser. Their names may or may not be those names, but, you know, that's what we're talking today. But we're talking about how do we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to our Muslim neighbors, friends, and coworkers? How do we share the hope that we have in Jesus with those people who have been taught all along that Jesus was a good guy and maybe a prophet, but he wasn't the son of God. And he really didn't die. I'd like to welcome Matt and Nasser to I Work For Him. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so Thanks. much, Jim. 
You know, before we get started with the show, I really just want you to talk. We'll start off with you, Matt. How did how has Jesus Christ made an impact on your life? Well, um, Jesus has first of all given me a new identity. I am a new person in Christ. One of the aspects of that identity is that I have an eternal future. He has promised me eternal life because I've believed in him. So that just paints everything in a different color. Another thing is that I have um, a purpose now. I serve him. So one of the things that daily gets me going is the Great Commission. It's at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And it's interesting because that comes at the end of the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew leaves it there as if to say that's the work of the church until Christ returns again. So that's my job. Nasser, talk to me about the same kind of thing. Talk to me about how Jesus has impacted your life. Um, <clears throat> wow. You only, have Jesus. A you only have a minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Jesus is not a theory. Uh, it's not just a concept. He's a real person. Um, when I speak to um, my fellow friends and telling them about Jesus, they would look and stare, are you talking about Allah? Uh, this is what you mean, Allah? Like, is there is like, you mean there is a connection, a relation? Because nobody can see Allah. Nobody can talk to Allah. He's, he's way far away. And what are you talking? Who are you to have a relation with Allah? And could Allah be looking at you and connecting with you? And that's what I could tell is Jesus is so close to me. He lives in me. I love him and he loves me more than I can even describe. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. We're talking with Matt and Nasser today about how do we bring the gospel how do we bring the gospel to our Muslim friends? There are people all over our nation that don't know the truth about who Jesus really is. And as Christ followers, that's our responsibility. We're talking about how do we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to our Muslim friends and neighbors and co-workers. And these guys are experts. These guys live this each and every day, which is why we're using their name, but we're protecting their names. And uh, we're going to let them say what they want to say, but they've got a heart and a passion for reaching lost people for Jesus Christ, which is what we are supposed to have as Christ followers. But so often we get so caught up in the American ideal of Christianity, which is a somewhat heavily watered down version. This, this is what we need. This focus of today's conversation, Matt and Nasser. If I were to say more than anything, I just want people to understand so many of us did not grow up in a culture. Well, I grew up in Minnesota. I mean, it's Lily White. I mean, I, I graduated a cup, uh, in a class of 950 people. We had one black person. So I've, I've grown up in the suburbia world, and I have no idea how to culturally interface with people from other countries, let alone other religions. You know, I grew up in, 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 in a world in Minnesota where everybody talked about God. They talked about Jesus. They didn't necessarily worship either but at least they knew who we were talking about. And even the people that didn't, they used them along with other four-letter words, so they thought that was fun, because Jesus is a very popular name. So, And I love that when they do that. So, Matt, why don't you start us off with talking about the ministry that you're involved in. I'm going to let you say what you want to say. Okay, sure. Thanks, Jim. It's uh, the Tampa Muslim Outreach. And um, my wife and I were 
We've been overseas a bit working for the Lord in the Middle East. I have a background in this. Um, I speak Arabic. He called us back to the United States. We were in Ocala uh, serving in a church, and the Lord started to bring Tampa to our minds. Um, And we noticed the growing Muslim population here, and God started putting them on our hearts. So he called us here in 2013 to found the Tampa Muslim Outreach. He gave us the mission, share Christ with the Muslims of the Tampa Bay area. So we do that ourselves, and we equip others to do the same thing. Why is it, you know, everybody's used to presenting the gospel, and and they're like, okay, we just tell people about Jesus. And I mean, is it different presenting the gospel to people who who have been worshipers in Islam as opposed to not worshipers of anything? I mean, is it much, is it difficult, is it different or difficult? A lot of the principles are the same, I would say, but it is so helpful to understand where they're coming from, because Islam is a unique system of thought. Um, it, uh, it, it seems almost devised to inoculate people against the gospel. So often Christians will speak to Muslims and they're caught by surprise because Muslims are, are more ready for us than we are for them. And my goal is to get Christians more ready for them. Now, we met back in October at an event and you gave me a copy of a book. We're, we're, is it okay to talk about that? Sure. Okay. The book, Seeking Allah. Finding Jesus. And it was a story of a, of a, I'm guessing he's a young guy, but he reads the book. I listened to the audio version. He's somewhere between 20 and 30, and he shares his story. That was one of the most powerful books I ever read to understand, first of all, a little bit more about the Middle Eastern culture, but also about the mindset of somebody who's been raised in Islam. How did you come across that book? Well, I actually met the author at a conference, and so I followed him a little bit. And I, I knew when the book came out that it was going to be good. And it is a powerful book. I recommend it because he not, only, he not only describes his story, he also helps you understand what every Muslim is facing when they're considering uh, changing their religion. Uh, it is actually in Islam, it is called apostasy if you leave Islam. The penalty for apostasy in all of the schools of thought in Sunni Islam and all of the schools of thought in Shiite Islam, which are the two main kinds of Islam, is death. That means as soon as we begin a conversation with a Muslim about Christ, we're essentially saying, I am proposing that you give up everything. And we need to have compassion as a result of that. Nasser, as you come from, you know, Matt is doing ministry right here in Tampa Bay. Your ministry is not here in Tampa Bay. Talk a little bit about your ministry in a, in a vague sense, but talk about the power of, of what you've been called to do. I want to recall, um, I remember when I was in college, and um, I went to approach one of the Muslim um, students there, uh, and I, I want to share the gospel with him. So I, I start to speak and speak and over and over and over and telling him uh, about Jesus, how wonderful is Jesus. Jesus is my savior, Jesus is my friend. And he has this white robe with a long beard. He's from a very uh, fanatic background sector. And I remember he was looking at me and listening for about 45 minutes. When I finished, he told me with a smile, "Um, may I show you something? And I said, yes. So he had this long piece of paper and he started to show me evidence why the Bible is, is, is wrong, why the Bible is uh, corrupted, uh, why the, the verses of, in the Bible is not correct. 
And he kept on showing me evidence. Of course, re- nowadays I know that all of these is deceived. Everything in the Bible is correct, but he chose some story from math from Matthew and and another story from Luke uh, and he tried to put them together to show how how wrong is the Bible and immediately after he just proved for me I was I was 20 years old he proved for me that the Bible is corrupted he spoke for about 15 minutes about hell and they start reading verses from the Quran about hell and the fear and the tortures in the when when you die and the whole suddenly a fear came over me and he prophesies and he said in 3 days you're going to be a muslims and you're going to change in 3 days and i went home with so much fear so much fear at that moment i realized they move by fear there's i feel sorry for them truly i see i feel sorry for them because their book is just controls their mind with fear and if i want to do anything it's just <clears throat> to reveal the truth and tell them listen jesus loves you listen god allah the one that you don't know anything about him except hell except punishing you He's not. He's his daddy. He's the one that loves you. I've been reading a book called Daddy You Love Me for uh, Brent Locker. It's just an amazing, amazing how God is an amazing father. And they don't know it. They don't know that God, Allah, loves. The only thing they know about Allah is fear. If they don't, he would punish. If he don't, you punish. If you if you do this, you punish, 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 punish. There is only punishments. Now, not to be argumentative, but a, I, I, I know a lot of people in Christian sectors that say Allah is not the same as the God of the Christians. They don't. How? But yet you use those two terms very. In, uh, you use them at the same time. You talked about God and Allah. Our Heavenly Father, Jesus is part of the part of the Trinity. You use that inner inner uh, the same way you said Allah. How do you do that in order to help them understand that the God that they really worship really isn't God at all? Or how do you, you used Allah that way? Help I mean, how do help us understand that? Okay. Do you remember do you recall the the story in Paul when he went and he said to the people, I was walking in your city and I've seen many gods. And there is one God has no name. Right, the no-name God, right? No-name God. This is the one I'm going to tell you about. He created heaven and earth. Uh, we we have to seek what they know on what they've been built and learned and catch up from there. They Their Allah is the one that brought Moses. Their Allah is he he's the one that created Adam and Eve, and they have the story of Adam and Eve. They have the story of Moses just opening the Red Sea. They, they have these stories of Allah. So it's, they call him Allah. We call him God. Okay, they add, they add few things to him and they took one big and important thing from him is love. There is no love in their Allah. And no relationship. Of course, forbidden relationship. <clears throat> but yet we call him Yahweh. Well, we call them YVWH or whatever that, I mean, the, the symbols, I'm not a scholar, but the Hebrew symbols that 
that represent God, and he's got all these names and attributes. So you you speak to him like as if they don't even know the Allah that we know. They cannot know Allah. They Say cannot. They cannot know Allah. Allah is something so far away, and you cannot even get closer to him. Actually, from all my Muslim friends, they have one thing in their emotions, in their feelings, in their mind about Allah, fear. They fear him. And they do spread fear. And, and you see that with ISIS. You saw that with Al-Qaeda. You've seen that with, you know, from Idi Amin way back when, 40 years ago. It, it's the, the, the fear is what causes Islam to spread because if they don't, if they don't say, hey, I'm a Muslim, then they get killed. I mean, it's one of those things. But there's good news in all of this, isn't there, Matt? I mean, really, I'm, I'm just asking you to stretch your mind a little bit today. It's so easy for us to hear a sermon on Sunday morning that we need to be, we need to reach out to the poor in our neighborhood. And it's so easy for us to think we got to go work with the underprivileged in the inner city. But so many of us have wrong misperceptions. We have wrong misperceptions. We have misper- misconceptions, misperceptions on how do we approach those that worship Islam, the Muslims in our towns, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and that we work with every day. And so as I had the opportunity to bring Matt and Nasser on the show today, I just I wanted you to hear from them. These are two experts that absolutely have grown to love Muslims and know how to present the gospel to them. And I wanted you to hear from them because they're the experts. All right, Matt, off the air. Uh, I We brought up the same topic. We were finishing up with Nasser right before the break. And you, I think you can help clarify the point a little bit more about the, the word Allah. Sure. A lot of, a lot of Christians have uh, some hesitation. They, they ask, is the God we serve the same as Allah, their name for God? And what we need to do is differentiate between the word and the concept. The word Allah is actually the Arabic word for God, and it's a legitimate word for God. It was used by Christians before Muhammad ever came on the scene and established Islam in the first place. It's really a Christian word originally in the Arabic language. So the word itself is a a viable word for God. But what I like to tell people is they are trying to worship the same God and failing. Uh, because they're not going through the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus Christ. I love that. That was a great explanation. All right, so let's talk about these, the the way to present the gospel to Muslims. And 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 I'm just going to say right now, this in my ignorance, the number one thing that I, I think is important is that we start to actually befriend our Muslim friends. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because a lot of us, we we, we allow walls to be mm. built between us because we don't understand each other. I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding. So that's that's one way. I mean, that's to just get the doors open. But we have to be equipped because they're, as you both have said, they're better equipped at refuting the gospel of Jesus Christ than we are ever at promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Nasser, why don't you start off with when you are in the area where you live and you have the opportunity to talk to a Muslim friend about Jesus, How, what are some of the main points? You just take, you guys go back and forth, Matt and Nasser, on these points on on how to present the gospel. So, what's the first thing you make sure you talk about? Number one, it, they would say that uh, your Bible is corrupted. It injured him harraf. Number two, they would say Jesus uh, was never crucified. It's Judas the Iscariot that was replaced. Wama salabu, wama qatalu, walakin shubbiha lahum. Uh, number three, um, they would say, you guys, you worship three gods, the Father and 
Mary and uh, the son. And uh, the father married Mary and they gave up birth for the son. And uh, finally, they would say, even if you think there is uh, your concept of uh, sacrifice, God has many other ways. Like in Islam, he can decide. I forgive you, go to heaven. I, I don't forgive you, go to hell. Why you, he has to go through the cross? These four big things that they struggle with. Now, Matt, do you find the same, do you work through that same pattern with, with people here in Tampa Bay? Sure. Um, but what I would encourage people to do before anything is pray. So um, just lay the groundwork, start putting your Muslim friend or your Muslim neighbor before the Lord um, and talk to them, talk to the Lord about them. And you'll be amazed at what happens, at the doors that open. You know, in my own experience, I try this every now and then almost as an experiment. I'll go to a place and I'll say, Lord, if it's your will, would you have me meet and share with a Muslim today? And invariably it happens. I was in a, in a library once. I walked in. It's my habit when I see a Muslim person and I saw a woman wearing the hijab, I, I said, Lord, would you preach the gospel to her today? Um, and I, I sat down in the, in the library. She puts down her books, wanders around the library, and sits down right next to me. And I said, Lord, that's not exactly what I meant. But, <laughs> Lord, I wasn't, I wasn't meaning me. I wasn't meaning that. But, but then uh, what ensued was a conversation about the gospel. We spent 45 minutes discussing it. And at the end, I asked her, I said, have you ever heard this before? She said, no. I said, how long have you lived here? She said, 15, 15 years. So that's something that we want to change. And, and that's what and we're going to start right here. We're starting with this show because there's there's people listening all over Tampa Bay and really all over the country. And we need to recognize that a lot of us just have, I don't know if it's a prejudice or a fear because we don't really know how to approach these people because they come from a very different culture than we come from. Uh, you know, which may not be true because there's I know there's second generation Muslims that are here. They come from our culture. But for the most part, their culture is still very segmented, even within our culture, if they're if they're second or third generational people. So, Nasser, as you ha- engage in conversations, how do you get started in conversations? As Matt said, he uh, he, he prays and he, he prays for opportunities. How do you get that opportunity where you're from? Well, first thing I would answer their questions, I, I'll tell them. Uh, you think that the one that was crucified is not Jesus. And they would say, yes, we know. It's uh, Judas. And I'll tell them, just think with me. Bear with me just a few seconds. Let's decide that God decides to change the outlook of Judas and take Jesus alive to heaven because God loves or God likes Jesus. He wants to save his good prophet and put put the outer appearance and look on Judas. They say, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I'll tell them, first, don't you think that God has a better way than deceiving and lying? Second, the people that was watching Jesus at that time, it was a feast. I mean, maybe about a million people was passing through Jerusalem in and out, and they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus on the cross and they believed. And the Romans, they said, if you don't leave the Christianity, we're going to kill you. And they said, we are saved by his blood. We saw him being crucified. No, we're not going to leave Christianity. And just imagine with me this analogy. They would die. They would go to heaven. And they will, they, they're going to enter heaven. And the angels is stopping them on the door and say, where are you going? I say, to heaven. We are 
We are saved by the blood of Jesus. And they would laugh. They would say, no, 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 it was a trick. We tricked you. What? We tricked you. It was a lie. What? Yeah, the one that was crucified is not Jesus. What, what? It's not Jesus? Wait, wait, we'll call God and God will come and he's laughing, laughing. And God will say, yeah, yeah, the one that was crucified is Judas. He's not Jesus. And he's laughing. And he would say, I lied. I tricked you. All right, we're going to make sure. This is the conversation that Nasser is having with his people. He's not saying that Judas and Jesus got switched on the cross. But this is the conversation because our Muslim friends have been told that Jesus didn't die on the cross, even though our scriptures document that he did die. And so, Matt, you and Nasser can take the conversation. Nasser was, you, you understand exactly the conversation he's having with somebody about the, the Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Go ahead, take it from here. Hey, that's exactly right. The, the Quran says, says, which means they did not kill him, they did not crucify him, it only looked like it to them. So Muslims explain that as God did a switch. He uh, rescued Jesus, took him up to heaven in the body, put Judas in his place, made Judas look like Jesus, and then Judas was crucified instead. It was a trick. And Nasser's point is so well made, we can ask them, is God a trickster? All the Christians subject to that, that trick. I just love the way he was explaining that. So, but but they're saying so that Jesus got taken up into heaven. But why did he get special dispensation in their mind? Why did why did he get special treatment? Well, it's important to remember that Muslims believe in a series of prophets. They believe that Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, the biblical figures, and Jesus were all prophets sent by God, each given a special book to reveal Islam to the world. They believe that in turn each book got corrupted and so a new prophet and a new book had to be sent. Uh, Jesus was given a book they call the Injil which would roughly correspond to our New Testament. But again, they believe that that got corrupted and they also believe that no prophet would be allowed to be humiliated uh, through something like the cross. And that leaves them unable to understand how God stooped down to us, how he loved us so much that he would undergo suffering and death on our behalf. When we look at, I think one of the biggest things as I learned from the book was that they do believe that the Bible has has been corrupted over right. the years as it's been uh, translated and translated and, and rewritten by scribes over the centuries, but that the Quran is perfect. Right, exactly. Word perfect, every letter uh, descended from heaven to Muhammad. So, Nasser, when you are having that conversation and people bring up that argument that the Bible's been corrupted, but the Quran is perfect— Yes, <clears throat> this is the second, uh, the second big question that I would answer quickly. Um, I would tell them, uh, is the Quran could be able to be corrupted? They would say no. I will say why. They said because God sent a verse, inna anzalna dhikr, inna ilayhi lahafizun. So, what does it means? You know, we have God. I wrote the book. I wrote the Quran, and um taking care of the Quran. Nobody can mess up with the Quran because God said so. I'll tell them, what about if God said the same thing about the Bible? I'll tell them, he said the same verse in the Bible. And let me tell you just a quick story. Imagine a man would marry a woman and he would say, 
I'm strong enough. I'm going to protect you. Nobody can come and take you from me. And he was walking with, with this woman in the street. And suddenly a man come and he beats him up and he take his wife and he kill his wife. And he will get, he will marry another woman and he will say, I'm going to protect you. I'm strong. Would anyone ever believe him? No. Well, no. So if, if, if according to you, if God is not able to protect his first book, Injil, and he said, I'm going to protect it. How could he protect the Quran? Now, those conversations that you have, these are not one-time conversations. As I, as I have learned about the Middle Eastern culture vicariously through many other people, it's a very talkative, I mean, there's a lot of conversation. Conversation is the centerpiece of their culture. They, they like to debate. When you guys start to present the gospel, Obviously, it's a dangerous thing for them to even show that they're considering listening to you. At first, it can just be an argument and people can see it. At what point in time does it go past, they're just arguing with you to point their point and you're arguing your point. At what point does it put their lives in danger when they take it to the next level and actually start to research what you're saying to see if what you're saying is true? Uh, Jim, that's a great point. In fact, in Islam, it, they teach that even if you think about leaving Islam, you're guilty of a apostasy, which if the penalty for which is death. So it's a dangerous prospect. We need to be patient with them, and we need to be loving. I think at this point, the thing to do is to call on God and ask for his power for that person, and then to show patience. The Bible instructs us when we're, when we're giving an answer for the hope that we have within us, to do it with gentleness and respect. And in Middle Eastern cultures, that's so effective and so warm. And, and we need to give them time and space sometimes for what we say to percolate. So you may, you may make a point and they give them time to think about it. Next week, they'll come back with another question and it takes time. So I think that's a good thing for us to remember. Well, and that's really demonstrated well in the book that, that we just gave away, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I mean, it was a, the talk about percolation. I mean, there's a lot of years represented in, in the percolating process. But I love what you said about gentleness and respect. The, the whole Middle Eastern culture is all about respect. I mean, and, and, I mean it's very heavily man-oriented respect. So, Nasser, as you are, you're living in the Middle East each and every day. As you deal with that culture, how do you bridge those conversations and keep them looking like on the outside you're just having a debate with somebody, but really on the inside, you are helping lead this person to Christ. How do you, ah, boy, I, I don't know, I mean, what's that look like in, in your culture? I mean, you're, these people are, they know that they can't look like they're really listening to you. That they got to think that they're winning, that they're winning the debate, but yet now, you're engaging them. Now, just one more time. They've been taught and learned to not listen to us because we are deceived according to their perspective. Just let me catch up quickly of what I've started to say. When, when they believe that Jesus not, did not crucify and Judas was crucified and I said, uh, God made this deceiving trick and he lied and people died through the Romans and went to heaven and they said, we're going to go to heaven and the, the angels would laugh and they say, why are you laughing? Because we tricked you. It wasn't Jesus, it was someone else and God would come and he's laughing. And I would just imagine I, I'm, I'm one of them and I would tell God, why are you laughing? He would say, I tricked you. It wasn't 
Jesus that was crucified, it was Judas. And I would look at him, I'll tell him, you're a deceiver, you're a liar. If this is who you are, listen, I prefer to be in hell rather to be in heaven, in heaven with a lying God. And then immediately I will tell him, please send a book, send a prophet to tell my kids that it was, it was a lie, it was a deceiving because they saw Jesus on the cross. He would say, I will send a book after 600 years to reveal the truth. I will tell him, no, it's unfair. There is about nine to 10 generations. He would say, I will send the Quran after 600 years to reveal the truth. So I would look at my fellow friends and I will tell them, would you accept that? Would you accept that the truth will be away from earth and a deceiving God will claim that he's a deceiver after 600 years? And suddenly their eyes will start to open and they start to think. When they think, the only the only thing that they need is love because they've been living under fear from their Allah. And when you start to tell them, but you have to listen, Allah loves you. And he's not a deceiver, he's not a liar, he loves you. So Matt, the, the struggles that Nasser has in his homeland versus what you're dealing with here in Tampa Bay, are they similar, are the conversations similar? Oh, this, the conversations are so similar. And I found that's true all over the world. Muslims are being trained the same ways uh, everywhere you go. And one thing I like to key on when I'm uh, sharing with a friend about Jesus is the assurance that we have. Um, and that's, that's something you can ask them about. You can say, um, do you know if you're going to heaven? And the answer will always be, only God knows that. And you can ask the question, well, when will you know? And the answer might be something like, well, I'll only know on the day of judgment. And then we can provide the alternative. I know that my sins are forgiven, not because I'm a good person, although I try, but because God has made a way for my sins to be forgiven. And you can tell them then, and, and there's a way to do this. It's, it's a technique that was devised by, by some people who were, were doing this a lot, and I think the Holy Spirit was leading them. And you go to Jesus, you tell his story, you go back to Adam and Eve, and you start to reconstruct how God provided a sacrificial system to atone for sin. And then finally, the great sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. John the Baptist points to Jesus. He says, this is the Lamb of God. And uh, Jesus becomes the sacrifice for our sin. And you'll find that your friend is listening. They're eager to know whether or not they're going to heaven. Talk to me about a success story. Both of you from, from different ends of the world. Uh, we've got a few minutes left before the end of the show. Talk to me about a success story, Nasser, of somebody that you have spent maybe years ministering to that has eventually given their lives to Christ. Because that's a scary proclamation for them. If they say they've become a Christ follower, their lives are never the same. Isn't that true? Yes. Um, there, let me say the biggest challenge that I always face every day is just to ask, uh, according to your perspective, God is merciful or he's justice? And they would say, um, he's merciful. No, no, also he's, he's just God. So I will tell them, are you a sinner? They would say, yes. So you deserve hell, right? You're going to go to hell? We don't know. Maybe he will be merciful at that moment. And he will 
he will just forgive us and take us to Jannah, uh, take us to uh, heaven. So I always recall and tell them, don't you think the two are completely contradiction to each other? And they would say, yes. So I'll tell them, so your God will be what? Merciful or justice? And they say, we don't know. We don't know. And this is because of that, they have a huge fear among them. And immediately I pop with this story. When when the judge claims for his daughter to be jailed because she did something wrong or she has to pay big penalty, he's justice. And after he's, he just claim what the court has said, he would come down taking his rope and he will pay all his money to his daughter. She will pay it for the court. The cross is the same thing. It's the only way that God, God is justice and God is merciful. God said sin deserves death and he died. The only way that the, the, the mercy and the, judge, the judgment of God would match together and they have no answer in their book. We're talking today with Matt and Nasser about how do we bring the gospel to our Muslim friends. And these guys have laid it out very, very succinctly. We've still got a couple minutes left, but I just want to challenge you. So many of us are so ill-equipped to bring the message of the gospel to the lost. And we've got this workplace we go to every day full of all kinds of people who are not Christ followers, and we have the hope within us that they need to hear. What are you doing to get equipped today? Matt? Share with us a testimony as we come to the end of the show. Sure. And I share this to say that uh, God can use anybody in any situation, Amen. even when we feel weak. We need to know that. I was in a taxi in a Middle Eastern country. It was dark. It was late at night. I was going home. My wife and kids were at home. And I was getting more and more nervous because the, the taxi driver was telling me how he had just come from Afghanistan where he'd been training to kill the enemies of Islam. So I was kind of feeling, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, I tried to change the subject. Uh, I asked his name. He said Salahuddin, which wasn't helpful because Saladin was a great uh, Muslim cru- uh, general who defeated the Crusader army. So that wasn't very promising. But um, I decided to have him let me off away from my house so that he wouldn't know where I lived. And I, I chose poorly because we ended up in this dark alley all alone. And he pulls the taxi over, and normally they leave their engine running, they take the money, and they go. But he he pulls over, and he turns off the engine. And I just thought to myself, God, what does a man pray right before he goes? And I did pray. I said, Lord, what do I do now? And into my head popped this verse that we had just learned um, at Arabic language school. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And I said that to him. And I'll never forget the sound he made. He sighed, and he said, that is so good. He had just told me he had memorized the Quran. He had memorized the Hadith. That's thousands of verses and thousands of stories. He was working so hard to get to heaven, but he still didn't know if he would be there. And we had a conversation after that, and he was ready, and he gave his heart to Christ that night. And I just thought to myself, wow. Sometimes God just wants to do a work, and all he wants is a willing servant to be there. 
Are you that willing servant? That's what we're really asking ourselves today. Are we willing to go outside of the box and actually reach out to our lost neighbors and friends, specifically the ones that look different than us, that act different than us, that speak different languages, that have different accents? As we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, that's the challenge for today. Thanks so much to Ace Andrews, did a great job today, and our show sponsors that keep us on the air. Make sure you do business with them. Go out to iWorkForHim.com and check them out. But what did you learn today on how we can take this city for Jesus Christ? What was the challenge that you heard? You know, we learned today that our faith is powerful. And you've heard the testimony. Matt just shared that testimony of just being willing. And how many of us struggle with that willingness? When we come into our workplace, we're like, I just want to get my job done. I don't want to get into conversations that make me feel uncomfortable. Maybe I'm not equipped. But here's the deal. The enemy of the souls of our coworkers and employees takes this battle very seriously. He's got a huge army of humans on this earth that have been deceived. We've got to equip ourselves to fight this battle and to be ready for the Holy Spirit to use us. What are you doing to get yourself equipped? Because we go into the battlefield every day in our workplace. We need to be ready. Do you put your armor on before you go? Because the enemy is ready. And our, is, our, our friends who worship Islam, they need to hear the truth about Jesus. He's the hope of the world. He's the answer to every question that they have. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. Yeah.